0: This morning our message is titled Singing in the Cave, Singing in the Cave from Psalm 57. Some 70 years ago now Gene Kelly sang the signature tune of the classic musical movie Singing in the Rain. Now it is based on the time of transition from silent movies to full sound including voices and singing and music and all that. In that period of transition, uh, what was happening is that you could no longer rely on your good looks. Now, voices mattered as well. Now, some actors and some producers and others adapted well to the changing times, while others did not. But this fellow, despite the challenges and difficulties in life and in his profession of acting, this fellow managed to adapt to the new situation with a song and a dance in his heart. Therefore, the words, singing in the rain. Now, Psalm 57 describes for us the words of David before he was king, before he sat on the throne. But instead of singing in the rain, he is singing in a cave. Saul, King Saul at the time, had been in hot pursuit of David through the Judean wilderness, west of the Dead Sea. In the process of fleeing, David had delivered an entire city from the Philistine threat, restoring them with more wealth than they had, than they had lost at the hands of the invaders. That story comes is, is in Samuel 23, verse 5. But the city... The city, rather than repaying David with kindness and providing him with refuge, told Saul of his whereabouts. So David had to keep moving, so he fled to the edge of the Dead Sea into the area of Engedi, where to this day, to this day, 3,000 years later, there are still plenty of caves. And, uh, about two and a half years ago, I visited the, the the place and we will see a photo here, and you could see some of the caves there's a waterfall at the bottom, but you'd see some of the caves right up right up to the top and they, and there are plenty of more caves in the whole area and this is the the place where David was hiding. Now I think many of us continue to think that the only place that we can sing about god and and to God is on Sundays and in church. If there's one thing that this pandemic has taught us is, is a valuable lesson about that. It has forced us to, to do things differently. Most of us have had to quickly adapt how we do church, including sermons and music and using our gifts. And this is, I think, where we can learn a great deal from David. This great musician, composer, and worship leader wrote all his psalms, sang all his songs and led all his possessions and gave us a great model for god centred worship way before, way before Israel had a building at a temple where they could worship. It was actually his son Solomon who would build the temple, not David. Now this is significant because it means that the temple that Solomon built was not essential for Israel's worship. God willed that there would be a temple, and it was God himself that put it in the heart of Solomon to build it. Nevertheless, God showed us clearly that the temple was not essential for true, deep, powerful worship. In fact, much of David's worship was out in the fields tending sheep or deep in a cave, as in this case, rather than in a glorious temple. And as we know, David's life was certainly eventful and it provided the background for most of his psalms that he wrote. And with this in mind, let us look at this psalm a little closer, a little deeper and see what God is saying to us. First of all, the context of worship which is verse 1, verse 4, and then verse 6. But this is what the title says. Before we look at the verses, look, there's a title underneath, and this is what it says. It says, For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. The title of this psalm says, A Mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Here we have David already anointed by God, but pursued by King Saul and running for his life. He is moving from cave to cave with 600 men, pursued by Saul with 3,000 men. So it is 5 to 1 against David, and now he finds himself in a cave, and Saul is camped, outside even though he doesn't know exactly where David is. So essentially David and his men are trapped. The other point about the title is that it even gives us the tune. It tells us that it is according to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Now there are four psalms that were sung to this tune. Now, can I just say that I would love to know what the tune of Do Not Destroy was. At first, the the title does not appear like an easy listening type of tune, like you might listen on 2CH or something. Do Not Destroy appears to be more a tune for a, a heavy metal band or something like that, rather than a psalm. Yet, the tune is appropriate for a lament, which is what this psalm was. Now like Psalm 25 that we looked at last week, here he again pleads for mercy. But it is because he has being pursued by his enemies that he pleads for mercy. Note that it was because he was being faithful to God's anointing on him that his life was in danger. He was in fact in the center of God's will for his life and that is why he was being pursued. And I don't want you to, I don't want any of us to miss the point here that whether we are faithful to his calling or whether we are repenting of sins, we need and we continue to plead for God's mercy on our life. So beware the time in your life when you stop relying and pleading for God's mercy. This is what it says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. In Psalm 46, the picture there is of God as a mighty fortress in whom we find refuge. But here the image changes. Here David shows his confidence in God by means of this beautiful and yet tender phrase, in the shadow of your wings. So we can easily picture him staring at this overarching side of a cave where he was hiding, and, he, and the side of this cave might have reminded him of the, of, the, of the wings of an eagle. So this can be looked at from two angles. First of all, it, it talks about God's presence. It could refer to the wings of the golden cherubim that were on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was obviously symbolic of and, and, it, and it represented God's presence amongst these people. But he also represents God's care. So maybe David is saying, as a mother bird takes care of her young, God takes care of me. He protects me. Let's remember the words to his people as the people of Israel came out of slavery. And, and we find this in Exodus 19 verse 4. You yourselves have seen that I, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. question for us is, where will we find refuge until the disaster has passed? On a national scale, we know that disasters can take many different forms, whether they are wars, whether they are pandemics, whether they are droughts, etc. The term is usually reserved for something of a grand scale. But as in David's life, it can also be something much more localised, much more personal and focused in his own personal and our own personal experience. The point is not becoming frozen by fear, paranoid, anxious and fearful because of the disaster that we can see or even disaster that we fear might happen. But to concentrate on the only one who is able to provide the refuge, the one who can carry us on eagle's wings. Next we come to the subject of worship, verses 2 and 3. First of all, let's look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now notice how prominent God is in this psalm. In 11 verses, God is referred to no less than 21 times by name or by pronoun. Now this is, apart from the other words and phrases like a refuge and shadow of your wings that are also used to refer to God as well. Now a few years ago I came across a a very sad statement on Facebook on a Facebook page of one of the kids who used to be part of my previous ministry, my previous church, and this was many, many years ago. And this is what he what he declared on, on social media. He said, I am a self made man Who worships his creator. Think about it. What he's saying basically is that he created himself, so now he's simply worshipping himself. This is narcissism. And and it's, if if we have a pandemic on anything, we have a pandemic on narcissism. This is the, the self, the love of self. It is, it is incredible what we are seeing in today's day and age. As God's creatures, our worship has to extend beyond us. It has to be directed to Him. But we also need to ask, is God the object or the subject of worship? Because I think this is is also important. I came across an article on Christianity Today which spoke about this and the author, uh, Robert Weber, he said, I grew up with a, with a three layered understanding of the universe. God is up there, the earth is here and hell below. Now this spatial view of God results in a human language that expresses worship to God, to God as the object of praise. I am the subject who worships God and God is the recipients of my efforts on his behalf. Now Weber goes on to say that in order to have a right understanding of God, we have to turn this around. God is the subject and we are the objects. The biblical God is the God who acts. He creates, becomes involved with his creation He becomes incarnate in Jesus, dies for us, is resurrected, ascends into heaven where he intercedes for us, will return to complete his redemption of the world in the new heaven and the new earth. He is not therefore an object who needs us to add anything to his glory. He is most glorious in himself. So, in worship... God, the subject, shapes us, the object, into the image of his son so that we offer our lives to God. God, most high. It's a wonderful expression, isn't it? And uh, sometimes we sing it, we, we come across it and we don't think about the implications of this too much. Um, for example, when I walk in a the, in the city in, in Sydney and, and you find yourself a little lost, you sort of lift up your eyes and see if you can see a, a, a very known landmark, which is Centre Point Tower. So wherever you are, you sort of locate yourself and, and say, well, that's, that's where the tower is, so I must be here. That is the, the, the highest point in, in our city up until now, anyway. Or if you're walking in a bush, you look for a familiar landscape that you can also recognise, and you can, particularly if you find yourself lost, that you can find your way again. And this is uh, something that uh, one of the outdoor guys uh, called Bear Grylls. Uh, he he says uh, he spends a lot of time in the bush, and he says. If you find yourself lost, you have to find the highest spot, that climate, and from there get a perspective of where you are going. Now, spiritually speaking, this is also good advice. But it is God who is the highest. He is the most high above everything. And if we find ourselves lost, we need to lift our eyes, look to him and find our way. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of people don't want to do. But the Bible constantly calls us to do just that. It is God who fulfills his purposes for me, not me fulfilling my purposes for myself. And it is because God is involved in his creation that David can say in verse 3. Let us read it. He says, He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends His love and His faithfulness. So our confidence in God is firmly based in the character of God. God isn't just loving, and faithful, here we see that he sins, he's he's not just contained in that but he sends his love, it projects from him his love and faithfulness. And David declared this 1,000 years before God did the ultimate in sending his son in love for us. And from Genesis to Revelation there is a Consistent revelation of the love and faithfulness of God. What we have to do is open our eyes to see it. And David's faith was never blind. He knew his God and as he matured, he discovered through his life, his experiences, what God was really like. In one of her books... Cory Ken Boom gives us some more insight into this. She writes, Often, and I quote, she says, Often I hear people say, how good God is. You know, we prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark, and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corrie, said Betsy, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And Corrie concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. Like Corrie, David knew that even though he was on the run and hiding in a cave, he is in fact in the centre of God's will for his life. Exactly where God wants him to be, taking refuge under his wings. And the last part of verse 6 reveals an insight that God gave to David. Those who were chasing him would in fact fall into the traps that they themselves had set for David. And that is exactly what happened. When Saul, for example, uh, King Saul who was pursuing him, needed to relieve himself, he goes into a cave, unaware that it is the very cave where David and his men were hiding. So David's men, they egg him on. Come on, David, come on, take Saul's life and and even interpret this as a sign of God's deliverance. This is God's will. But David, instead of cutting off Saul's head, he cuts off just a small piece of his cloak. The only reason David is able to do this is that instead of being full of fear and hatred, he was full of God. Notice how in verse 7 he twice mentions the condition of his heart. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. That's the reason why he's able to control his emotions. Because he's fixed on God. He can remain steady. He remains steady on God. And when our hearts are steadfast, we can also sing and worship, like David, in a cave. And lastly, the outreach of worship, verses 8 to 11, the outreach of worship. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, o Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness, reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See how again in this psalm, as in other psalms, a verse, verse 5 and verse 11, is a refrain, or it's repeated. It means that it's given a double emphasis. In this psalm, David is not asking for personal vindication because after all he was an innocent man. His desire is purely and simply to glorify God. David wants God to be glorified through the difficulties in his life. And what what John Piper says about this he says he says, he says that worship has in it an expansive impulse, an expansive Impulse. It wants to reach out, far from being uh, private and inward expression. the more real, the more intense, the more it reaches out to draw others and invites them to join in to worship. So David envisions himself. When he's out of a cave, when he's out there, he envisions, he could see this happening in the future, recounting God's loyal love before a congregation, before a people that includes not just Israel, but the Gentiles as well. He wants to declare and shout his praise so that others will know this is not going to be a private affair. Everybody will know. And somehow for David, there aren't enough loudspeakers for this kind of exaltation that spans the heights of heaven and it spreads the full breadth of the earth. As we conclude, let me just say that we don't have to be on the run, hiding or in isolation. In order to find, to find restrictions. Or look at it another way, like David, we don't have to be in, in hiding or in isolation in order to great, to, to write great songs for God. You can of course, if God gives you a tune, if you are, if God gives you the lyrics and the song, You can actually encourage others by this. And we have many gifted people in our church and indeed many gifted people around the world who have written a lot of great material so that we can worship wherever we are. And sometimes we will find ourselves alone but that should only make us even more hungry for fellowship and to worship It should draw us closer together as we do. Because worship has this, it's contagious. But as we also know, praise and worship is not limited to music and song. But as David showed us, it encompasses a life lived after God's own heart. The God of David, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is our God and he is the same. One who calls us to come to him and to find protection in the shadow of his wings. It is the God most high who calls us to lift our eyes to where he is, to the God most high and to show us the way that we should go so that we are never lost. May God bless us. Amen. So let us sing his praise. Let us sing of his great faithfulness.